We're doing Chaydush, everyone. This week's parsha is Parshas Mishpatim. In Parash Chaf Pasuk Lamed, the Torah says a din about trefa. Torah says, Uvasar basade trefa loisaychelu, lakelev tashlichen oisay. That when you have a torn up piece of meat that's found in the fields, that's why it's called treif. Treif means to be torn up. So if you find a, a carcass in the field, we're obviously not allowed to eat it. What are we supposed to do with that meat? You're supposed to throw it to the dog. And Rashi says that the truth is that you can give it to a guy also. You don't have to dafka, throw it to a dog. It's mutter ba'ana. You could throw it to a dog and give it to a guy. Why does the Torah say throw it to a dog? Because never deprives schar to anyone, if somebody or anything. If somebody does something, they deserve to be rewarded. The dog did something in Egypt when we were leaving, not a single dog barked, and that was a chesed that they did, that they didn't blow our cover as we were leaving. So because of that, we give the, the dog the piece of meat. What bothered me about this pasuk is the word tashlichon. If I was writing the Pasuk, I think I probably would have written, Lakelev Tachilon, I say. Feed it to the dog. Or maybe Titein, I say. Give it to the dog. What is this Lashon of Tashlichon, I say, to throw it to the dog? Why would I throw it to the dog? Give it to the dog, feed it to the dog, throwing. Obviously, the Torah is trying to tell us some lesson, I believe. And I believe that the lesson that the Torah is trying to convey is the following one. It's a very important lesson, I think, for all of us to know. We think, fairly, that when we give meat to a dog, it's going to be nice to us. We're giving it a nice, juicy steak. The dog is hungry. The dog will probably appreciate the fact that we gave it food, that we fed it. But the Torah says, don't assume that, because quite the contrary. Even though you're giving it food, even though you're taking a nice tray and a piece of meat and you're giving it to the dog, throw it to him. Don't get near him because he's not going to cuddle up to you and he's not going to wag his tail at you. He's going to bite you. Throw it. Throw it far. Because if you're assuming that he's going to be nice to you because you gave him something, you're going to be in for a very, very harsh surprise. Not only will he possibly bite you, he will bite you. And not only will he bite you despite the fact that you were good to him, he will bite you because you were good to him. 
And this is a very important lesson to take throughout our life. I told this to somebody else, that I, uh, a colleague of mine, and he loved the VART because it's something that we talk about together a lot and we uh, sort of commiserate with the human condition a lot, especially in yeshiva, and I'll, I'll elaborate soon. A lot of times in life, we're native to other people. We do good to other people. We do them a favor. We give them something. We lend them something. A lot of times in life, we are very, very native to other people. And we assume that because we are being good to other people, because we're being native to them, so then they're going to be nice to me. I'm so nice to you. I'm giving you so much. I give you my time, I give you my patience, I give you my advice, I give you my money, I give you my, my food, whatever it is I can give you, you're going to be nice to me, right? Very often, we're very surprised, and maybe we shouldn't be after a while, but we're surprised to find that it's precisely the people that we do the most to that we get very badly insulted or worse as a consequence. Now there's a cynical expression, no good deed goes unpunished. But there's a lot of truth to that. Very often in life you do something good and you expect the yashakayach and then all of a sudden, instead of getting a thank you and instead of getting flowers sent for Shabbos, you get quite the opposite. All of a sudden the person is attacking you. The Torah is telling us this, I believe, in this Pasuk. Ubasar, basada, trefa, loisa, chelu. You're not allowed to eat treif. Lakala, tashit, give it to the dog. But don't give it to the dog. Throw it to the dog. Far away, because you were native to the dog, you're going to get bitten by the dog. So make very sure to get nowhere near the dog when you're giving it to him, because precisely because you're native to the dog is why you're going to get bitten. The truth is that this is in fact a Yerushalmi. Everything that I said until now this morning is Yerushalmi. The Yerushalmi is in Yuma Gimel Zayim. And the Gemara says, Chad Asi, there was a doctor, Bitsipirin in the city of Tsipirin. Omar of Pinchas Barchama, who told Rav Pinchas Barchama, Come to me and I will give you, I will tell you, I will share with you the pronunciation of the Shem and Mephirosh. Shem Mephirosh, the Rabbi Yisraelim's name that we're not allowed really to say. And that's what the Sugi over there in the, in the Yerushalmi is talking about. You're not supposed to say it. You know why? Because it's very powerful. The shame of Farish is something very, very powerful. I'll tell you a story about the shame of Farish. There was, uh, the Chassam Seifer was the Gadol Adar, and he was the Rosh Kalpani Adela. He had two great sons. One son was the Ksav Seifer, who was his uh, successor in the city of Peshburg. And then he had another son, Rav Shimon Seifer. Rav Shimon Seifer was the Rav of Krakow. 
two great luminaries, two great worthy sons of the Chassam Sefer. When Rav Shimon Seifer was trying out for his position as Rav of Krakow, there was opposition to his candidacy, as very often there is. Very rare that just one rabbi is the one that is the candidate and there's no opposition and he gets the job. That hardly ever happens. There's a search committee and they try to get a lot of rabbonim to try out and then there are people that are rooting for one candidate and other people that are rooting for another candidate and and eventually they settle on one. So Rav Shimon Seifer came to the city of Krakow as a, as a candidate for the job, for the position. Very prestigious, prominent city, Krakow, of course. And he sent forth, before he came to give his shear, he sent forth Mara Mekaymas. And they posted the Mara Mekaymas on the bulletin board in Krakow, and then a few days later, he arrived and he was ready to give his shear. And when he came into the base medrash to give the shear, he saw that there was a group of balabatim on the front row area, and he saw that they were—they sort of had their proverbial daggers out. They were out to get him. They did not want him to be the rub. They had their own candidate. They were against him. So the Balabatim of today would just, uh, you know, try to stab him in the back other ways, speak Lashnara about him, say something terrible or whatever. But those Balabatim in Krakow happened to be Hamidichachamim. So what they did was, instead of like bad-mouthing him, they prepared the Mayimachimus really well, and they were ready and perched at the edge of their seats to sabotage and to attack and to ambush every single source that the Shimon Seifer was going to say. They already constructed his whole sheer base in the Mayimachimus, and they were, they were going to, you know, going for the jugular. And he chopped all this. As soon as Rishim Seifer walked into the room, he saw the whole scene. He chopped exactly what these guys were up to. And he said the following. He said, I want you to know, before I start giving my shear, that everybody knows I'm a son of the Chassam Seifer. When the Chassam Seifer was once deliberating about a certain butcher in town about whether he should stay in his position or not, he ultimately decided that he has to go. This butcher has, has got to go for whatever the offenses that he may have committed. But he has to go. He didn't want to send his gabai to tell the butcher because there was a mortal danger involved in telling a butcher that you're fired. It's not the person, you know, it's not like telling your accountant that you're fired. A butcher happens to have a lot of very sharp objects around the house, around his place of work. You have to be careful with butchers. So, instead of sending the Gabe to fire the butcher, the Chassam Seifer sends his two sons, the Ksav Seifer and Rav Shimon Seifer, when they were young boys. I guess maybe he felt that, you know, that he wouldn't harm maybe young kids. Anyway, they come, he said, before I send you to the butcher, I have to share with you the shame of Mephirish. I have to tell you the shame of Mephirish, exactly how you say it, the kavanas you should be having when you say it. 
And if you should come to attack you, Chasvashalom, with his cleaver, grab onto the doorknob of the room. I don't know why, but that's what he told him to do. And say the shame of Firish and then run out. The Kachava, they came to the butcher, they told him that he was fired, that his father had fired him, and that he should no longer be actively butchering in, in Krakow. He wasn't happy with the news. He picks up his cleaver, he starts running towards the cipher boys, and they grab onto the doorknob, they say the shame of Firish, they ran home, and they found out like that within the hour the butcher was dead. It's a nice bedtime story to tell your children someday. But anyway, Rav Shimon Seifer looks at the crowd after telling them this story, and he's particularly focused on the Hebra in front of him. And he said, I want you to know something. It may have been many years ago, he says, but my father is still alive, and I still remember the shame of the Firish which was sort of a veiled threat, like, don't mess. And they didn't. They sort of, like, snuck to the back of the base medrash, and they listened to the shir, and they answered, and after they said, they answered, Amin Yeshne Rabba with a Kaddish. And he got the job. The shame of Farish is a very powerful, powerful tool, very dangerous in the wrong hands. So the Gemara says that this doctor came to Repinchas Bar and said to Repinchas Bar I want to invite you to my house and I'm going to share with you the shame of Firish. I'm going to tell you this, how to, how to pronounce it in the Kavanah so that you have it. It's a good thing to have in your arsenal. The Gemara says something very interesting. I can't be trusted with it, says Repinchas Bar Amar Lama says, why? Why can't you be trusted with it? Of course you can. He says, I am a lady, and I eat miser. I take miser from other people. People give me their miser. Somebody that's empowered with the shame of Mephirosh must be a type of person that takes nothing from other people. If you take from other people, you can't be entrusted with the shame of Farish. Why? Because you might come to use it against those people. What's the question about this Gemara? The question is obvious. What do you mean? Because you take from people, you can't be trusted with the shame of Farish? You're taking from people. Why would you then use that against them? Why would I use the kayak of the shame of Farish against people that were nice to me? I understand if I give to people, if I'm a generous guy and now they cross me, so then I'm going to be really upset at them, so then I shouldn't be trusted with the shame of Farish. But if I'm a person that takes from people, I should be so nice to everybody. Everybody's giving me. If everybody's giving me, so why would I bite the hand that feeds me? Why would I curse somebody? Why would I use the shame of Farish against somebody that just gave me thousands of dollars of nicer? I should be so grateful to that person. What is Mark talking about? 
Talit 5 on this Gemara. And the answer is what we were saying before, that precisely the hand that feeds you, you will bite. When people give me, that's why I will attack them. That's the consequence of taking, is that you will attack them. When a dog takes trefa from you, he's not going to cozy up to you. He's not going to thank you. He's not going to lick your hand. He's going to bite your hand because he took from you. I say, throw it far, because otherwise you will be bitten. It's inevitable. When you do something good for somebody, prepare for the consequences. If I take Meiser from somebody, I'm going to eventually use the shame of Farish against that person that gave me Meiser. And if you're going to ask me, well, why? This is so counterintuitive. Whatever you're telling us today is so counterintuitive. Shouldn't it be the opposite if somebody gives me? I'm going to be nice to them. You're mated with me. I'll be very kind to you. Why are you saying otherwise? Why are you being so cynical? Why is the Gemara being so cynical? And the answer is that this is psychology. It's a very Pashta Cheshvan. I think we've probably said the following Kachadetzchak a hundred times at least, but it's Kedai to repeat. There's a Kachadetzchak that says that when two words as he puts it, are nizdamnu lepundik echa, they converge at the same motel. Meaning, they share the same space. Two words that seem to mean two different things, but yet they share the same container, they share the same word. So in English, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. If there's two words that have the same, you know, the same uh, word, but two different meanings, that doesn't rattle anybody. Nobody cares. It's just, that's what it is. But if they're in Lashna Kaidish, if two words share the same word, two words that have seemingly different meanings have the same word, that triggers a lot of alarms. It means something. Rafunder points out that the two words that share the same word is the word Maida. Maida means thank you. Maida ni lefanecha. Maida means I admit. Like maida bemiktas. I admit that I, I uh, you know, part of your taina is true. Maida bemiktas ataina. So does it mean admit or does it mean thank you? Which one does it mean? It doesn't mean separately things. That's not the way the Torah works. If the Torah has two words and they share the same meaning, there, there's got to be a reason for it. Says Rapunzel, very cautious. You know what the reason is? Every person wants to be independent in life. Nobody wants to be beholden to anybody. That's just the reality. You thought it was just you. It's everybody. We're all like this. We're fiercely independent. In fact, the Gemara and Bracha says that one of the persons, one of the people, three people, Chayim, Enam, Chayim, their lives are not a life. They have no life. One of the persons is Hasaymech, Al Shulchan, 
if somebody else supports me, somebody supports me, I, I, I have no life. I want to be independent. Every person by nature wants to be free. They want liberty. They want freedom. They want independence. They don't want to come out. The dream of a human being is that they should win the lottery or they should become so wealthy that they could tell their boss to take this job and, and, and thank you very much, I'm, I'm quitting. Because they don't want to, people don't want to have a boss. They don't want to have an oven. They don't want to be dependent on anybody. When a person says thank you, and means it, when he says maida, what he's really saying, says Rav Hutner, is that I admit that I had to come on to you. My car had a flat tire, called Chaveirim, I don't know how to change a flat tire, they do, they came, and they jacked up my car, they put, put the new the donut on, I say thank you. What is it when I say thank you, and I mean, I'm not saying the thank you like that we do as a niggin, like thank you, thank you, thank you, which means nothing. I'm saying when a person really says thank you, what he's really saying is, I made it to you, I am admitting to you that I couldn't do it on my own. I want to do it on my own. I wish I could do it on my own, but I needed to come on to you. And this is true with everything in life. A person does not want to say thank you. You know why? Because that's admitting that they needed somebody to help them. And you don't want to be at that. I don't want people helping me. I want to do it on my own. If you want to see this in real life, look at children in shul when they go to the candy man. So the candy man in shul has lollipops. And just watch. Sometimes just, just focus on it. It's very fascinating. Kid comes over like, can I have a lollipop? The candy man very nicely takes out a nice big lollipop, gives it to the kid. What happens? The kid runs away. The father never has to like, push the kid back to say thank you. He doesn't want to say thank you. Now, we say thank you. The difference is, again, when we say thank you, our thank you is not a real thank you. It's a fake thank you. It's just a... It's like a social nicety. It's because we know we were trained, we were bred to say thank you. We say thank you. It doesn't mean anything. A child didn't get that training yet, so he instinctively, whatever he's doing is real. He runs away. He bolts away. He wants the lollipop. He doesn't want to say thank you. He doesn't want to admit that he needed to come on to somebody. Because a child is really us before all of the varnish gets on it. When we do good for other people, we like to believe that we're helping them and that they appreciate what we're doing. And they should appreciate what we're doing. In fact, the Maral says in Sefer Bereshis and Gurariya, he says, Asur, You're not even supposed to do favors for people that are ingrateful. Because it's going to make me like sour from doing chesed to other people. If you're never, if you're going to be a person that's not appreciative, then I'm never going to want to do it. I'm going to get such a bad taste in my mouth that I'm going to like say chalas. I don't want to do it anymore. So you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing favor. But 
when I do a favor, I expect and I deserve appreciation, a real appreciation. And we're surprised when people are less than appreciative. But I believe this is a psychology. It's not coincidental that people, the more you do for them, the less appreciative they are. It's precisely because they are so beholden to you. You've done so much for them. The weight of the debt that they have is so crushing to them that psychologically they have to push back. It's easier for them to be upset with you, to anger you, to break ties with you, to turn their back on you. It's easier to do that than to admit that I owe you. That's why people bite the hand that feeds them. That's why the Torah says, like Because this is the reality. That the more you do for somebody, as much as you're doing good, it's good to do good things for other people. We should want to do that. But don't expect a yashikayach, because it's not going to come. And if it comes, it's going to come for a short amount of time, but then something will happen, generally. The story is told about the Chassam Seifer, that one time he did a big favor for somebody. And when he did the favor for somebody, at the same time that he did the favor, he gave them a pebble. A little pebble. The person says, what's this for? Why are you giving me a pebble? He says, I'll tell you why. He says, because I know that because I'm doing a favor for you, someday you're going to throw stones at me. I'm just asking you a title. When you throw the stones, throw this stone. Because it's small, it's hopefully not going to hurt me so much. And this is how life is. It happens all the time in yeshiva, time after time after time. It's not even, it's not even like a, a thesis anymore. It started off as a thesis. It's just a reality. The more that you do for a particular Talmud, the less Akaras type you get. Sometimes you have like a Talmud of the year, you know, you do a little for and he's so appreciative. And then there's a Talmud that you mamish give your whole kishkas, your amache varmish sagidim, and I'm like, I don't know, whatever, they don't invite you to their chasna, or they, uh, you know, they're, they're just like rude. And like, you don't, it's like, it catches you off guard, and you like become very upset about it. This happens a lot in a parent-child relationship also. A lot of times parents and children have a very, very frictional relationship. Parents give and give and give to their child clothing and food and shelter and tuition and camp and, and everything. What don't you do to your child? Everything. And then the child very often rebels for whatever reason. And he's not talking to his parents and he's not, uh, uh, he doesn't want to come home and he doesn't want to speak to them. He's bright, I guess he's, and like you wonder, Lamanash, I'm like, what's going on? Like, wh- why? Why? It's your parent. The answer is that it's precisely because your parents give you so much that you can't take that debt 
the debt is so great that you, it's easier just to cut them off, to get into a fight with them. It, it like sort of alleviates some of the pressure on you that you feel inside, that you owe them so much. When you owe somebody so much, it's very hard. That admission of thanksgiving, that admission that I can't, I, I couldn't, who would I be without you? I would have nothing. You helped me every step of the way. It's hard for a child to have that debt on him. And yet the Torah tells us you have to be mechabed your parents, regardless of that. Taking all that into account, and the Sefer HaChinuch says that if you could master Hakar Satayv to your parents, by extension you'll learn how to master Hakar Satayv to Hashem who took care of your parents. I think that's why Kabi Yatsudikov Esimech is on the first five Dibras, even though we know that's Benadam Lamachim, because the Chinuch is telling us the real Tachlis of Kibbut HaVeim is not just your parents, but it's to take it a step further. It's to, to appreciate Hashem. Because we all do this ourselves. We do it to Hashem. Hashem gives us everything. Everything. What would we have without Hashem? We have nothing. Our eyesight, our ability to hear, our ability to talk, our walk, every, all the money that we might have, all of the health, all of the the, the brain, the seichel, the, the personality, the chen, the relationships, our parents, our siblings, our whatever we have in our life is from, is from Hashem. And the first thing we say in the morning when we wake up is, Thank you. But in the thank you, there's also that understanding that I, I owe you so much. The Chavetz Chaim once said to the Rabbi after he was Messiah, the Mishnabura. He wrote the Mishnabura, it took him over 20 years to write. And he said the following to the Rabbi This is what he said. A Talmud overheard him saying this to the Rabbi, Rabbi Shalom, you have done so much for me. You have given me the ability to write the Sefer Chavetz Chaim, to write the Shemir Salashim. And now you gave me the ability to be Messiah in the Mishnabura. You gave me so much. Now tell me what I could do for you. Now, that's a little bit opposite of what I think we might do. If we wrote the Mishnabura, we'd say, God, you owe me big time. I just wrote the Mishnabura, said everybody's going to follow your laws. You know, it's Magiyali, a lot of schar for that. The Chavetz Chaim didn't see it that way. The Chavetz Chaim saw everything as, I owe you. Rabbi Nishlam, you do so much for me. I can never thank that sentiment that I understand how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu does for me very often makes a person push back against Rabbi Nishon. Sometimes we get angry with him. He's an easy target. He doesn't answer back. He doesn't get mad. Or at least we don't see it. So whenever something goes wrong, who's the first person? Who's the first being we blame? God. God hates me. Why are you sighing? Why are everyone else, you know, you didn't do this for anybody else. Why are you doing it to me? Well, how would we dare speak to the Rebbe that way? Why would we think that way? The answer is because we are so indebted to him, and when you're indebted to somebody or something or some being, it creates a tremendous pressure on a person 
in the sense that I want to feel independent and I'm not able to because I know that I'm so dependent on you. So this is something that we have to work on. It's something that we have to work on from both angles. When we're the giver, we have to realize this and we have to understand that, okay, I'm giving the person, but understand when the person is not able to fully appreciate what I'm doing. I remember when I was a buffer, there was a married couple and the husband was out of work. And I heard that he was out of work. I didn't know him so well, a little distantly. And I felt bad for the guy. You know, he was just married and he, you know, he needed the Parnassah and he was out of work. He was a good guy. So I called up a friend of mine whose father had a very big business. And his father hired this, this person directly because of me. I mean, you, you didn't have to connect too many dots. It's direct. And I was waiting, Arab Shabbos. I wasn't a buffer, actually. I was married already. I was waiting, and I thought for sure. The guy just got a job. He could go out in the street, feel good about himself, be proud again. Be... I was expecting a call. I was expecting flowers for Shabbos, a bottle of wine, something. And the call never came. I was so angry. With him, I, got, I was upset at myself for going out of my way for him. And this happens a lot. I made a lot of shidduchim, people that were really, really desperate for shidduchim, and I found the shidduch for them, and I didn't get a phone call. Forget about shidduchim, I didn't get a phone I got a phone call after they were married a year, they found my number and they said, because, or two years, whatever, they couldn't have a child, so the mother called me, and Hamburger, you know, you, you know, we know that I, somebody told us, you know, shop, you have to pay a shop, or else you can have kids, or whatever, like, we realized that we didn't give you anything. I said, it's okay, it's fine, I'm Michael, look to look. Anyway, they pushed me and said, just give us your address, we want to send you something. Our kids are, I gave them my address, I still haven't gotten anything, this was about 20 years ago. And you scratch your head and you wonder, like, why, why don't people express gratitude? It's like a mystery in life. Why is it that no good deed goes unpunished? Why is it that so many times when you give something or you do something, you don't get the appreciation that you deserve? And you should get it. But with the schmooze today, I think we're able to get a little peek into the psychology of a human being, which is so complex. But the Torah is telling us this, I believe, in this passage. You will get bitten. You're mated to, to the dog, throw it far, because you will get bitten. So it's very important for us, when we're on the giving end of things, to recognize this, not to be so shattered and so shocked and so disappointed because just chalk it up to reality. That's the way it is. There's a great story with uh, of Shimon Schwab when he was learning in the mirror in Poland and he went to a Yerucham 
for, to borrow some money because he had to go home and Rabbi Yerucham had a gemach that he would lend money to Bachram temporarily until they got home. So, he, so Rabbi Yerucham gave him the money, whatever he needed to get back to Germany for Yantif, and then Rabbi Schwab said, thank you. So Rabbi Yerucham got very upset at him and he gave him like a whole Musser schmooze, screaming at him. He says, you say thank you to me? He says, you know that there is a halacha of ribbis devarim, that when somebody lends you money, you're not supposed to say thank you. Elamai, why do you say thank you? Because you're a yekish abacher, and yekis are so, you know, obsessed with etiquette and doing the right thing, even though it might override the Torah, but that didn't affect you. And he, he's giving him mamash a home pusishmuz, about how, you know, you said thank you, you shouldn't have said thank you. And he felt very bad of Shrab, and he came back, he returned the money, then the next Yantav rolled around, and he went back to Rabbi Rucham for another loan. This time Rabbi Rucham gave him the money, and he didn't say thank you, he just took the money and walked out. So Rabbi Rucham started screaming at him again, how can you not say thank you? I gave you money, you don't say thank you? So Rabbi Shabbat said, listen, last time I, I did this, you were screaming at me the other way, that I said thank you. Now you want me to say thank you? I don't get it. What's going on? He says, you're right. You're not allowed to say thank you. But you should be able to express the thank you with your face. Your face should say thank you, even if you can't verbalize it. We're owed thank yous. But don't be shocked if it doesn't come. Because that's the psychology of a human being. That's the, the, the way that a person is, is wired, is that it's very hard for a person to say thank you. The more you do, prepare for less thank you. But it's also important on the receiving end of things in life to know the schmooze. Because very often we will be the ones that are the recipients of goodness from other people. And we have to really control ourselves at those moments to not be the ungrateful Caleb. To not be itching to use the shame of Farish against the person that was made to us. Because you'll see it might happen to you. And it does happen. It happens with the Rabbanishlam all the time. We blame the Rabbanishlam so much. How could we do that? He does so. That's the way it is. That's who we are. That's how we're wired. We can't help it. So we have to fix it with the Rabbi Nisham, but we also have to try to control it with our, with our own interpersonal relationships. Starting with our parents. A lot of times, a lot of times there's tension between a parent and a child, and we explained why. It's very natural. Because the parent gives so much, and therefore the child is so feels such a a surge of resentment over the fact that they are so dependent on their parents that they inevitably lash out at a parent, Rahman al-Islam. And it's very important to control that. It's very, very important in life to control that. Parents are sometimes not so easy to deal with, especially from a young person's perspective. Might have different ashkafas, they might be uh, of a different ideology, they might not be from 
They might have, uh, you might think that they're, you know, doesn't matter. A parent is a parent and you have to find it in your heart to appreciate them and to respect them and even to love them. Even though the Torah doesn't command anything about loving a parent, just respecting and fearing, but you should, you should foster love. It's very, very important. When your parents are young and healthy, then you think that you have the, the leisure to play with them and to wrestle with them and to toy with them. But after Achameyavashim Shana, you're going to regret it. It might be very natural, the feeling that you have to push back against your parents and to rebel. and it, it, It's a natural course of events, but you have to try to control that and rein in that, that instinct because it's not the right instinct to have. A Rebbe, you have a Rebbe, appreciate that you have a Rebbe. Is the Rebbe perfect? Maybe not. Sometimes Rebbeim do things and they're maybe disappointing to you for whatever reason. But the Rebbe does a lot for you, so appreciate that. Don't push back against him. Friends, siblings, anyone in life, when you're on the receiving end of good, try to control yourself. Don't give in to this instinct of biting the hand that feeds you. As natural as it might be, as understandable as it may be. And we've proven that, I think, quite convincingly. But still, when you're on the giving end, expect it. But when you're on the receiving end, control it. And I think with this key, you'll be able to unlock a lot of mysteries in life and a lot of interpersonal experiences that you're going to have that you won't understand. But this, I think, will explain a lot. And when a person is not expecting that much, when you set the bar lower with this understanding, then life is going to be a lot more palatable. Sometimes, you know, your wife or your kids or... Uh, <laughs> I, no. It's understandable. It's understandable. They can't. They can't say thank you enough. They can't appreciate you enough because they, because they, are, they want to be independent. Understand that. But that's true for them, but it's still not true for you. And from your perspective, always appreciate what people do for you. Even if you don't like it, you have to do it. The thank you has to be, if not on your mouth, on your face. Appreciate everything. Understand how difficult it was for people to do so much for you. And say thank you with Shema Malta. Say thank you with, with your entire being. Appreciate people, be matriarchal in the fullest sense. And that's what the Rabbi Nisham expects from us, and I think that's the message in this week's parsha. Have a wonderful Shabbos.